1: Did you know that 500 million people around the world have osteoarthritis? In those over 55 years of age, a staggering one in three people have osteoarthritis. While many people may well suffer in silence or become isolated from the disease, it's important for you to recognize that you're not alone in your experience of living with this disease hip and knee osteoarthritis are ranked as leading contributors to global disability in the most recent global burden of disease report with prevalence around the world of knee and hip osteoarthritis approaching five percent now you think that's bad those rates are expected to increase further with the aging population and increasing rates of obesity putting further strain on healthcare systems worldwide hello It's David Hunter, and on this week's episode of Joint Action, we're joined by Professor Lynn March to discuss the burden of osteoarthritis. We hope that you'll learn how this problem has developed and frighteningly, how many people are likely to be affected in the future. Hello, Lynn. Welcome to the show.
2: Hello, David. Thank you for having me on.
1: It's an absolute pleasure. It's a really important topic, and I think it gives people hopefully some estimates of the size of the problem that we're dealing with in osteoarthritis. But before we get into the main content of the show, really in an effort for the listeners to get to know you a little bit better, can you just share with the listeners a little bit more about your background and what a typical day looks like?
2: I guess my background, I'm a rheumatologist and I'm head of the department at the uh, Royal North Shore Hospital in Sydney. A typical day, I guess, is usually organised chaos, I suppose. I'm never sure what's going to be on for the day. I don't like to get up too early, I guess, mainly because I go to bed too late. I, I tend to get my best work done late at night. So I do clinical work. I was doing four or five clinics a week until this year, but uh, with all the research work I've Backfilled that a bit so with some long service leave. But I guess being head of department and in a busy teaching and clinical hospital, I've always got someone at my office door. I see the patients in the outpatients, I see the patients in the wards, and I've been lucky enough to land three pretty major research grants from the government in the past 18 months, as well as some generous philanthropy support. So I've got quite a lot of research work to do. And my latest passion is sort of working on a national registry and biobank for arthritis. And I've got a great little team helping me do that. So yes, I'm a clinician uh, and a researcher and a teacher and mentor too, I guess.
1: Sounds like an incredibly full plate. And hopefully you get through that chaos on a good basis every day. When you're not doing your day job, what is it you like to do?
2: Oh, I like to swim. Uh, I like to cycle and I guess I try to do those things uh, a few times a week. Uh, I've got a lovely group of friends that I swim and cycle with, so we do that locally. But in the non-COVID times, we also would go on holidays swimming and cycling together kind of nationally and internationally. Uh, so lots of different countries I've travelled with, my partner and our lovely group of friends.
1: And where's the favourite destination you've gone to on one of those cycling trips?
2: Oh, wow, very favourite destination. There's so many and they're all so unique, possibly around Shikoku, one of the islands of Japan that we went soon, about a month after Fukushima had hit. It was their cherry blossom time, but we were really the only tourists on the island and was really very moving time to be there and most picturesque and beautiful and quite hard too, some big hills.
1: Wonderful. All right. Now, obviously, the main content of today is learning about the prevalence estimates that you're garnering from the global burden of disease study. And I guess before we get into learning a little bit about how common osteoarthritis is, just wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about the global burden of disease study and what types of measures come from that study and where they're derived from.
2: The Global Burden of Disease is work that has been initially started way back in 1990. And it was a collaboration between just two people then, sponsored by the WHO and the World Bank. And they divided the world into eight regions. And they mainly focused on diseases that um, killed people. So more the infectious diseases and heart disease and cancer and things like that. But even then, they had a small component of musculoskeletal disease. But it was not until about 2006 or 8 that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation actually funded and sponsored the Institute of Health Metrics and Evaluation in the University of Washington in Seattle to look at the diseases more globally. And they were actually mainly interested to see if a lot of their big um, investment and expenditure on vaccine preventions and and improving health in developing countries had made a difference. But the group uh, that were working with them also decided to include chronic diseases. And so I was fortunate enough to lead the musculoskeletal expert group, and we had a, a wonderful group of people that did the first estimate and really expanded it. And back then, so that was the GBD, it was called Global Burner Disease 2010 study and musculoskeletal diseases came out as incredibly high and chronic diseases overall came out much higher than the infectious diseases that they had been previously worried about. And from then on, it's kind of been building. But what it attempts to do is put all diseases on a level playing field. So they try to use the same methodology for finding out how much of the disease is there and then how much of an impact it's having on Individuals who are living with the disease and how long they live with it and whether they die earlier from it. And all of these metrics are put together to create their statistics that, that are meant to sort of see diseases equally measured in the same way. And I suppose the reason for that is if someone's counting their diseases from this person died from heart disease and they add up all the heart disease. And then if we're counting our patients with arthritis and some of those die from heart disease and we add up all the deaths from that, you actually end up, if you're doing it separately, with more deaths than actually happened in the world, just from the nature of, you know, if you're only focused on one condition. So I'm hoping that makes sense. But the global bird disease tries to measure both death and disability, so it's not just about whether you died from it. It's also about how long you're living with the condition, and how much uh, disability or impact that it has on your daily life. And then that reduces your full life by that amount of disability.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's really helpful pretext because I think the next couple of questions are probably going to be very reliant on that. So, based upon the studies that you've done with the global burden of disease, how common is osteoarthritis?
2: Well, osteoarthritis is incredibly common. Uh, So uh, in the estimates from the burden of disease that they've come up with, at least 5% of the total population, total global population has osteoarthritis. And so that's many millions and millions of people with osteoarthritis globally. And it really affects every nation of the world. There's some small variations, a little bit more in the developed countries, And perhaps that's driven by older age groups, but also higher levels of body mass index, which is one of the major risk factors. Uh, But it's in every country and every region of the world. And the estimates within the global burden of disease are very strict estimates for osteoarthritis. So for someone to be called that, it requires an estimate that they have both pain in their joints but also changes on their x-ray. And we know that those two things don't always go together. People can have quite a lot of pain and not necessary x-ray changes or they can have a lot of changes on their x-ray and not necessarily have pain. So in the end it's probably an underestimate even though it's many millions of people.
1: And you mentioned five percent of the world's population having this. What type of osteoarthritis? Is most common, whether that be the symptoms that you were just talking about or the x ray change, and in which joint is it most common?
2: In the global burner disease work, they have focused on osteoarthritis of the knee, which is the most common, then osteoarthritis of the hand, and then osteoarthritis of the hip. They also looked at the the first time actually in the 2019 data, included the hand and other joints. So the shoulder, elbow and foot, but estimates globally and population-based country-level data on those other types of arthritis actually quite limited. So much of the data is modelled to get those. But in the GBD data, knee is most common, followed by hand, then followed by hip.
1: And Lynn, you started touching upon this in in your previous answer, but how does the burden differ between countries? You mentioned it's slightly more common, in developed nations, but how much more common and what types of prevalence or estimates are we getting in lower middle-income countries?
2: Uh, Lower middle-income countries, for example, the publication that's coming out shortly from India, parts of India will be lower middle income and parts of India will be high. There's a a major mix there, but very similar. You know, there's an estimate of, you know, 5% prevalence uh, in India as well. If we look across all age groups, obviously, if you start to look in the older age groups and uh, the estimates of osteoarthritis really don't even start to be calculated until people are over 45, 50 years of age, then the prevalence goes up uh, incredibly with age and up to sort of 25% uh, even in in those aged uh, 55 to 65, for example. But really, I think we've got to be thinking that it's a global disease. Every country has some. And I guess one of the limitations of the GBD data is that not every country has country level data so a lot of it is modeled based on the age structure of the population and what's seen in a neighboring region that has got some data and then it gets modeled to fit that particular country so that every country has an estimate that's in the data but not every country has the raw data that has been collected from that country if that makes sense
1: yeah i know that does thank you that's wonderful Based upon the the recent work that you've done, obviously also following the trajectory of the global burden of disease study from its inception, when you first started looking at musculoskeletal disease to now, you've demonstrated quite marked increases in the proportion of people who are affected by osteoarthritis and changes also in the ranking of where osteoarthritis fits, if you want to call it in compared to other diseases in terms of the impact that's making on disability. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yes. One of the key things with osteoarthritis is because it is something that does increase with age, the prevalence increases with age, as populations live longer and populations grow, then overall the prevalence of osteoarthritis grows as well. And the statistics from GBD aren't fully attuned to all the possible risk factors for osteoarthritis. And really the main one that they've focused on is high body mass index, because that's something that many countries have good population-based data on. But when we look at things like that, we look at the impact that body mass index was having back in the 1990s, and it was you know, around the 27% mark perhaps then. Uh, but if we look at it now, that's increased to at least 37% of osteoarthritis, 34 percent depending on which populations that you look in it varies a little bit but very high risk associated with the high body mass index in our populations but when we tease down on the data the increase in the prevalence of osteoarthritis is largely driven by the populations growing in number and the populations getting a bit older but we could certainly do something about trying to reduce that risk as well. But I I think, you know, it, like health policymakers kind of have to look at it and say, well, so many millions of people, even if only one or 2% of those needed a joint replacement, the cost of delivering health care to these people is going to increase greatly. So not only do we have to address better health services for people to manage their osteoarthritis pain and disability and improve their quality of life, we also have to be seriously thinking about how we could prevent as much osteoarthritis developing as there is.
1: Yeah, so that's really helpful information, particularly from a public health and prevention angle, knowing what proportion of people uh, their osteoarthritis is attributable to certain risk factors, such as body weight. Moving forward on this, and obviously thinking both in terms of the disability, but also healthcare expenditure, where does osteoarthritis stack up against other diseases?
2: That's a good point. So say, for example, in India and also in Australia and and globally, osteoarthritis fits around about 20th. Now, that doesn't sound very much, but when you realise that that's out of at least more than 350 other diseases and conditions and injuries, osteoarthritis is right up there at that sort of level, and that's almost every country that you look that osteoarthritis is in you know, the, top, the top 20 of conditions to look, look at. And if we look, for example, in a country like developed like Australia with some data that will be coming out later as well, the actual age-standardised years lived with disability for osteoarthritis is greater than for heart disease and type 2 diabetes that we focus a lot of attention on. And I guess we don't really like to get into, you know, my disease is bigger than your disease. I think that the, the clear point to make is that osteoarthritis needs to be taken into account when you're looking at all the other chronic diseases because so much of you know if you're trying to help people with heart disease and you're trying to help people with diabetes and be more physically active which is incredibly important for all of our health conditions then you've got to address their osteoarthritis as well because so many of them will have it and it's as you were probably aware, being a condition that has been largely overlooked, perhaps because so many people have it, I'm not sure. But so that when we start to talk about YLDs, which is a product of not only the prevalence and how many people out there have it, but also the disability impact of the condition, that's when osteoarthritis starts to rise up above some of those other conditions.
1: Yeah. And so YLDs are just the years lived with disability, and it's just a complicated mathematical equation where you times the the number of people live with a certain disability times the magnitude of the population. And from that, you get the ranking. Now, Lynn, some of the colleagues out there in the community have raised concerns about some of the estimates, and you've touched upon this in some of your answers. But I just wonder if you could talk about where the estimates are derived from, and particularly some of the concerns about Incomplete coverage and in some of the primary prevalence studies as to how the estimates have been derived and what impact that might actually have for the results that you've got.
2: Yes, one of the problems with all of these types of data is that large population studies haven't been done, and nor will they be done, I don't think. You know, we've got great data back from uh, last century where. Population bases had their symptoms checked, and then they had all their X-rays done, and that's where you know some of these data came from. So we're probably not going to capture those sorts of things. We can capture more simply, though, uh, with uh, knee pain and and standardized knee pain, back pain, hip pain questionnaires, and we've shown that on door knocks and things that there are simple tools that we could do this better. So it is a limitation that it's not country level data, but for osteoarthritis, for example you know, I think we have country level data from at least 20 countries. A lot of the data, however, is driven from medical expenditure data from the United States. So the, and that's primary care data. So already, these are people that are coming for care for their osteoarthritis. So they're the more severe end of the spectrum, but it doesn't capture a lot of the people who haven't come. So I think it's fair to point out that it's largely model data, it would be nice to have more country level data and and people who are perhaps pitching the the concerns about the limitation could help us gather more of the data as well, and you've just got to work with the data that you've got. It's better to do it this way and have all disease treated in a similar way if you're starting to talk about ranking and you're starting to talk about generating health policy. So it's got an enormous number of strengths as well to produce data in this way and highlight it. Everything we look at would suggest it's an underestimate, not an overestimate. And that's, you know, what you worry about most with picking at data and Critiquing data for its limitations, you wonder if you might be overcalling something. We're definitely not overcalling osteoarthritis. And looking also at the patterns of severity, it's going to be quite different in different countries. Uh, for example, you know, in India, when they tried to estimate sort of mild, moderate, and severe, they came up with very different estimates compared to globally. So for perhaps that we'd seen in Australian data. So for example, um, Bangladesh. A nice population based survey suggested that mild was about 50%, moderate, you know, 35%, and severe, you know, around 15 to 17%. Yet in the global data that we estimated for osteoarthritis, mild was much higher than that. So, more like the 60%, moderate, you know, 30%, and severe, less than 10%. So, I think there's a lot of strength in the GBD data, but it also has its limitations that it's modeled data and its limitations, not that the modeling's necessarily incorrect, it's just that there's not enough data to put in for all the inputs. I guess the other key thing about the osteoarthritis data in this more recent modelling, they've not attributed any increased mortality to osteoarthritis, the disease itself. They've put that down to, or the person died from heart disease, or they died from diabetes or other health conditions. Yet we know those health conditions are more common in people with osteoarthritis, and perhaps the osteoarthritis also contributed to it. So again, that's a little bit off the track. I've def- I guess I've defended the GBD data because it is so systematic and it does treat all the diseases in the same way, but it's definitely limited in that when we drill down to try to compare different regions or we try to, you know, within a country, unless they've really got country-level data like China, like India, where they have different regions of data and a lot more people, you can perhaps draw firmer conclusions. But when we start comparing, you know, different regions or even sometimes different countries at the moment when it's on model data, we shouldn't make too much of the small comparisons. We just really should look at the bigger picture. There is a lot of osteoarthritis and there's no denying that no matter how you collect the data. And it has a major impact on people, as big an impact as it does uh, for some of the other chronic diseases that are also very important. But I guess the key point is that we shouldn't be overlooking osteoarthritis the way we have done and we should be investing more in the healthcare, investing more in research to see if we can switch it off because it's only going to get bigger.
1: It's a wonderful way to conclude on that particular segment and you know full applause to you for the wonderful work that you've done both around the global burden of disease study, but also getting recognition for osteoarthritis as a serious disease. Because I think, you know, a lot of those efforts are critical for developing better recognition of the importance of the disease and its impact. So Lynn, if you could do anything to improve health and healthcare, what would you do?
2: Ah, have more health workers, more health professionals, perhaps I guess in our developed country, pay doctors and allied health longer to have longer consultations to truly address the patient's needs and that sort of shared decision making because osteoarthritis is often at the bottom of the list, even for the patients, even though they're in pain, they prioritise other things, So, more people and more time to give people the, the advice they need. Wonderful.
1: Are there any patient-friendly resources that you'd like to share with your listeners? We'll obviously for today include the link for the Indian article and some of the other global burden of disease studies. But are there any other patient-friendly resources that you want to point people towards?
2: I don't know how patient-friendly they are from the burden, but it is a publicly available website. People can look out on the website and explore the data and see different countries and different age groups and see that, in fact, women have a lot more osteoarthritis in particular at all joints than men. So people who are a little bit data savvy can log on to ihme.org and look at the GBD data and explore that and see some maps and see where it is. So that's freely available. In terms of summaries, the WHO has a little bit of, of work on a, a little health uh, checklist, but uh, it would be great if we had more. But that's probably all I've got a bit at the moment. Yeah.
1: We'll provide a link to that website and the WHO is the World Health Organization. Now, Lynn, why do you do what you do? What motivates you to do what you do?
2: Uh I guess I like making a difference and helping others. I guess that's a bit cliched, but it's true. Uh, and I always said, you know, arthritis and musculoskeletal, I feel we're the underdogs and The people who have the conditions, they're such wonderful people and you get to kind of know them and little things can help them. I guess I'm frustrated that it it doesn't get the recognition that it deserves. So I'm going to keep chipping away until I can get the WHO to fully acknowledge musculoskeletal health. And then when they fully acknowledge it, then our governments and health ministers around the world have to acknowledge it and going to keep pushing on because I, I think small things can make a difference.
1: Well, I hope you do. And I hope you get to make some of those obstacles be pulled down because the, the more recognition we can get for these diseases and the people who suffer from them, the better. Now, Lynn, if you could have a billboard with anything on us, what would it be and why?
2: I think I would say for the more you share, the more you have. And I think that goes in so many things. It's a the major philosophy underpinning my A3BC, the Australian Arthritis and Autoimmune Biobank Collaborative that I've established. It's really getting people to work together and sharing things. And then that's when I think we can make a difference for everything in life. So yeah, the more you share, the more you have.
1: Wonderful. Now, is there any one piece of advice, knowledge or wisdom that you'd like to give for people who have osteoarthritis just in closing?
2: I think the main way I would always finish any talk or even any patient consultation uh, is to keep moving. I think it's just so important for all of us. Keep moving.
1: Yeah. Very sagely advice. And on on that note, great way to finish. And Lynn, thank you so much for the massive contributions you're making in this space and taking time out of your busy and chaotic day to have a conversation with us.
2: Thanks very much, David. And thanks for these great podcasts. I think it's a great initiative.
1: Hopefully the content from today was helpful. Importantly, you are not alone in experiencing the impact of osteoarthritis. Many, many millions of people around the world have this disease, and with the impact of an aging community and increasing numbers of people being above a healthy weight, we are anticipating seeing many more. It is important to understand this so that we know how many people will likely seek health care for the disease, and really importantly, how important prevention and better treatment options are to reducing the impact of this increasingly prevalent problem. Thank you very much for tuning in today and for your continued support of the Joint Action podcast. Between now and the next time we have a chance to connect, please do take care of yourself.
0: Thanks for listening to Joint Action with David Hunter. If you like our show and want to know more, visit www.jointaction.info. If you have any questions, you can email us at hello at jointaction.info and follow us on Twitter at jointaction.org. This podcast is hosted by David Hunter, edited by Vicky Duong, music produced by Jordan Hunter. The information posted on this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Anyone seeking medical advice should consult a health professional.